can. And we are limited in a lot of ways by the way we process up here, what's between our ears. And it starts with our thinking. I want to share with you something this morning. We're going to uh, move through this fairly quickly. But Proverbs 23, verse number 7 says, "Is A man thinketh it in his heart, so is he. You're going to be what you think. What you spend time thinking about, what you spend time working on and dwelling on, etc. That's what you're going to be. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the heart, the concept of the heart. Uh, the Hebrew word for heart is nepez. Uh, and there, I, I'm not going to go over all of this definition, but I want to focus in on a few words. Just to, so when you're reading the word heart in scriptures, you kind of understand what they're talking about. The will, desire, soul, living being, desire, emotion, the inner being of man, seed of the appetites, the seed of emotion. So when the Bible says that a man thinketh in his heart, so he is, he's talking about inside. So when we talk about who you are on the inside, we're talking about your intellect, your emotional self, your your spiritual self, the person you are inside. I'm not going to get into the theological discussion of the separation between the soul and the spirit and that kind of thing. But I'm talking about your inner being, who you are, what makes you and drives you who you are. Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7, man became a living soul. That's Nepes, Okay. He became a living being inside. He had a spiritual nature, something, the seat of the appetites and emotions. Genesis 6 and verse number 5, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth in the days of the flood, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's an epiz. That everything he thought about deep inside him was evil continually to the point that God wanted to destroy the the earth. Uh, there's also another word for heart in the scriptures, uh, the Hebrew word leb. Again, I want you to just focus in on a few of those definitions. Inner man, mind, will, heart, mind, knowledge, thinking, reflection, memory, inclination. Uh, a seed of appetites is seed of emotions and passions is the seed of courage. It's essentially the same word. There may be some, uh, or essentially the same meaning. It, it, there's some nuance between it, but we have different words in the English language that have nuance between it. When we say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, what are we saying? We're saying everything you've got inside you. That's, how, that's the way we love it. There's some nuance between it. If I say, use your imagination, or if I say, use your mind, use your thinking skills, they're still the same words. We're just using them in different ways. They may have some subtle differences between them. Same thing's true in the Hebrew. 119th Psalm, thy word have I hid in my heart. That heart there is leb, that I might not sin against thee. It's still the inner being of man. I put the word of God within me so that I don't sin against God. Matthew 5, verse number 28, the New Testament, uh, hath committed adultery with her if, he, if a man lust after a woman. He had already committed adultery in his heart. In the Greek, that word is cardia. A lot of our words, uh, English words, are built on Greek words, like a cardiologist, for instance. That word comes from uh, its entomology of the word, comes from uh, the word heart, that uh, uh, he's a heart doctor, etc. A cardiogram is a, some test of the heart type thing. But again, I want you to notice the Greek definition uh, or the definition given by Strong's of the Greek word cardia, the center and seat of spiritual life, the soul or mind, the seat of thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, endeavors of the understanding, the faculty and seat of the intelligence of the will and character of the soul, the inner being a man. The New Testament has a word for that. It's cardia. And I'll give you some other examples of that. Where your treasure is, there will your 
heart be also. The, that's where your inner being is going to be. Is where your treasure is at. What it, what it is you treasure, that's where your inner being is going to be. That's going to be who it is uh, that you are. Here's your heart, soul, and mind. Those are different words. Cardia, psyche, and dianoia. Uh, and there are some differences in those words. But if you look at psyche, a living being, the seed of feelings. Designed in everlasting life. Dianoia, deep thought, imagination. The mind is a faculty of understanding, feeling, desiring, understanding mind, etc. A way of thinking and feeling thoughts, either good or bad. So, I, I give you kind of that as groundwork. Because when I'm talking about our heart and, and who you are and talk about the thinking process, I'm talking about that inner being of man, the seed of your passions and emotions, who you are on the inside. There's a difference you know, I, I dwell in a clay body that someday will return back to the dust. But that's not who I am. I'm not that body. I am who I am inside. I am a different person than Lisa is. Uh, and Lisa, who I married, well, even though she dwells in a clay body also, and that body will return to the dust at some point in time, but who I married was her. I know her. I know who she is. I know the type of person that she is down deep inside. It's, it's what you think about. It's who you are as a person. I'm going to talk to you about some things today that really, in my opinion, are life-changing. And they, they will help you make decisions in life in a way that will honor and glorify God. Because it starts with decisions. It starts with what you spend your time dwelling on and thinking about. You know, a lot of times people... Uh, Michael's been doing singing instruction for us this week. And there's a lot of young men, for instance, that will go throw their hands up. That's not been the case with these young guys. I'm very proud of you guys. You guys have been amazing. But, but a lot of times young men will go, I can't. I won't. I don't. I can't. I, it's just, just no way. Well, the reality is, if you think you can't, you won't. And the reality is you'll never learn anything if you go through life thinking, I can't. No, it's, it's not, I don't do, you know. That's where it all starts right here. We, when we were little kids, we, our kindergarten teacher wrote uh, or read us a book about a little engine, right? What was the little engine? The little engine that could. Y'all familiar with that? Raise your hand if you're familiar with the little engine that could. Why do you think you're familiar with that? The reason you're familiar with that is because that's where it starts. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. The little engine made it over the top of the hill said, I knew I could. I knew I could. I knew I could. I knew I could. But I'm telling you, when we sit there and we say, no, it's impossible. If I'm sitting in a math class and my math teacher is trying to teach me algebra and I'm going, I can't. I just can't do this. I promise you, you won't do it. But if you have an attitude that says, I think I can, and it starts right here, you'd be amazed what you can accomplish. You may not learn all of that algebra has to offer for you in, in one setting or whatever, but you learn what you can that day so that you can build on those principles the next day. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. When it comes to our spiritual life, a lot of times people go, I just can't. I can't control myself. I can't, uh, can't control my feelings. I can't forgive people. I can't. Well, I tell you, if you have the I can't attitude, you won't. You won't forgive. You won't overcome your weaknesses. You won't, because you're not even working on those things. Because it starts 
right here with your thinking. So I want to talk to you a little bit about a guy by the name of Cliff Young. I want to use him for an illustration today. And I want you to remember Cliff Young. In the, as we pick this story up, there's a picture of Cliff Young. Cliff Young is a real person. This is not a made-up story. It's not a preacher story. We joke about preacher stories sometimes. But Cliff Young's a real person. Cliff Young was a potato farmer in Australia. And a very simple guy. Uh, he uh, ranched, had sheep and, and uh, cattle, that kind of thing. He grew up raising cattle, about, had about 2,000 sheep on 2,000 acres. Uh, there's a picture of Cliff uh, herding cows, and he herded cows. And I'll read you some of the stuff here in a moment. But um, in a day when they didn't have tractors and they didn't have four-wheelers and they didn't even have enough horses to, you know, to be able to herd cows, they did it on foot. Okay, that's what Cliff Young did. Cliff Young wore overalls and rubber boots. Now in Australia, they called them gum boots. And I've heard some people in America have told me when I've talked about this that that when they were young in America that they called them gum boots in America. I didn't know that. Uh, but have y'all ever put on rubber boots? Raise your hand if you've ever put on rubber boots. I don't know about y'all, but that just means blisters the next day is what that means, you know? But, but he wore overalls and rubber boots, okay? And he went, there's a picture of Cliff in his rubber boots out herding cattle. And that's the way they herded cattle and shepherded sheep is he wore rubber boots out in the field. He, and as we pick this story up, he's 61 years old. 61 years old. Now, 61 doesn't sound as old as it used to to me. But 61, he was not a young chicken. It wasn't his first, uh, I'll put this in the ranching category, it wasn't his first rodeo. He'd been around a little while. The story we're going to talk about happened in 1983. That's the year Lisa and I married. So when Lisa and I were 18 and 20 years old, in 1983, he was 61 years old. He has since passed away. He is no longer uh, here on this earth. Cliff Young ran an ultramarathon, or he signed up for an ultramarathon. If y'all don't know what an ultramarathon is, an ultramarathon is multiple marathons. They take days to run them. It's not like running the the 5K marathon or the 21-mile marathon, that kind of thing. An ultramarathon is multiple marathons all together. And in fact, he signed up for the Westfield Sydney to Melbourne Ultramarathon in 1983. And there's a, a lineup of how far they ran. In fact, if we put that, took it out of kilometers and put it in mileage, it was 533 miles that Cliff Young ran or signed up to run. At 61 years old, he signed up for to run 533 miles and I'll tell you this, he came to sign up in overalls and rubber boots. Now, if you're signing up Cliff Young for an ultra marathon of 533 miles, and this guy shows up in overalls and rubber boots, what do you think you would have said to Cliff Young? I'll tell you what they said. You're crazy. There's no way you can finish this race. To which he replied, yes, I can. See, I grew up on a farm where we couldn't afford horses or tractors. And the whole time I was growing up, whenever the storms would roll in, I'd have to go out and round up the sheep. We had 2,000 sheep on 2,000 acres. And sometimes I'd have to run those sheep for two or three days. It took a long time, but I'd always catch them. 
I believe I can run this race. 533 miles. That would be further than me leaving Houston and running all of the way to, to Amarillo, Texas. It'd be further than that. Okay? It's a long, long way. You know, there's some things that they didn't tell Cliff, though. See, when ultramarathon runners ran ultramarathons, basically the way they would run them is they would run for 17 hours and then sleep for 7 hours. But nobody told Cliff Young that's the way you run an ultramarathon. So he's 61 years old. He signs up in overalls and rubber boots and all of the other people are in their Nike gear and their tennis shoes and all of that. And they run for 17 hours and then they sleep for 17 hours. So they start off the race and Cliff's in the race in rubber boots and overalls when everybody else is running. And guess what? When they got 17 hours in, all the other runners stopped and they slept for seven hours. Nobody told Cliff that. Cliff was way behind. Cliff just kept running. And he kept running. And guess what? The very first day, do you think Cliff was in the lead? Cliff, Cliff was losing. And the next day, do you think Cliff was in the lead? He was still losing. Even after the other runners had run seven or had slept for seven hours and run for 17 hours, they ran another 17 hours. But every day, you know what Cliff was doing? He was gaining ground because he didn't sleep. He used that seven hours to continue to run. There's a picture of Cliff running, and he ultimately won the ultramarathon, Westbourne, Sydney, uh, ultramarathon by 10 hours and did it in five days, ran 533 miles. Now, that blows my mind. I don't know if it does y'all's or not. But he's 61 years old in rubber boots. I'm thinking rubber boots for a day washing a car means blisters the next day. I'm sure he had some calluses that had to be about this thick to put rubber boots on and, and then go out there and run. And they talked about that he ran kind of funny, that they called it the Cliff Young Shuffle. And I'm thinking the reason why he kind of ran funny is he had rubber boots on that were hurting his feet. But the reality is they also found out that ultramarathoners, after he had won this race, they studied what he was doing. And actually the technique, what they consider a technique, helps conserve energy and oxygen and that type of thing. The way that he was running, that other ultramarathoners had adopted that style of running, the little shuffle thing that he was doing, what they call the Cliff Young Shuffle, because they found that it was very beneficial to long distance running. Let me talk to you for a moment about some things Cliff Young did not worry about when he was running this race. You know, Cliff Young didn't worry about what he was wearing. And I want to be clear here, but I want to talk to you about some things. You know, your moms and dads talk to you about what you wear all the time, and I, that's not really what I'm talking about. I understand moms and dads say when you go to church, you're going to wear appropriate things for church and things like that. And when you go to school, you're going to wear appropriate things for school and Preachers get up and talk about modesty and, and it's important in what you wear in those sense and because the Bible talks about it being important and, and moms and dads have reasons of teaching you social etiquette and there's a lot of factors involved. Uh, they don't want you going to a funeral looking like you just weed-eated the yard, you know, things like that. And there's, there's reasons why moms and dads are teaching you those kind of things. But let me tell you where we cross a line sometimes. We cross a line at times... When we get so stuffy as a church 
And I, let me tell you my upbringing. I grew up, and I'm not try, here. I'm not trying to make anybody else feel bad about what you're wearing or what you ought to wear, etc. I'm just saying that when I grew up going to church, women did not wear pants. Okay. When I grew up in the in a congregation, in fact, when I was going to elementary school, girls could not wear pants to school. I remember when they changed that in the sixth grade. All of a sudden, they allowed they would send a girl home from school if she had pants on. And in the sixth grade, that changed. Girls could wear pants. Our culture, we have some cultural things that happen around us that have changed some of those things. My dad grew up and said, you don't wear blue jeans to church. And that was my dad's rule. And I know you go to other parts of the country and, and there's Sunday go to meet in jeans and there's Wednesday night jeans. And if you're wearing jeans today, I'm not, I'm not knocking you. I'm just saying that was the world I grew up in. That same man that raised me now wears jeans to church. That my point is culture has changed around us. I'm not knocking blue jeans. I'm just saying that that was the world I grew up in. That that was something that I wasn't supposed to do. We raised our girls. And we brought them to church and we taught them certain things that, that were our standards of what we expected. That we expected a certain kind of shoe or a certain dress or, or whatever that we wanted them to wear. We were going to church and we're going to dress appropriately for church or that kind of thing. We made those decisions too. But let me tell you the danger in those things. We get caught up in those cultural things. And sometimes you get some people that's real stuffy. And let's say that everybody in this room, all the ladies in this room wore a dress and all the men did not wear blue jeans and, and they all had three-piece suits on and all the ladies were in dresses and a woman walked in the back that was wearing blue jeans. She was wearing pants and they were blue jeans. And there's a real tendency in a culture for people to get stuffy and go, oh, I can't believe she's here in blue jeans. Let me ask you a question. Do you want her to come to church? Or are you worried about what she's wearing? And I'll tell you, when I weigh that out in my mind, I want her to be at church. Now, in our family, when we were raising our girls, we, we asked them when it was church time to put dresses on and that kind of thing. And, and I can tell you that that's the way we raised our kids. But I'm going to be also honest with you. I'm thankful that we had some women that wore pants. And the reason why I was thankful for that is if a visitor walked in in pants or a lady in pants that she wouldn't feel uncomfortable in being in the assembly but the, my point is is there's a clash of culture sometimes that happens because we're teaching standards of certain things that we're wanting in our families and all that to the spiritual needs of somebody and those are clashing sometimes and people get very stuffy you know what cliff young was not worried about what he ought to wear you know what he wasn't worried about was that he had on overalls and everybody else had on Nikes. Or that he had on rubber boots and everybody else had on Nikes. You know, a lot of times we get focused on the wrong things. We get focused on the stuff rather than focused on the race. And we end up losing the race a lot of times because we get focused on the wrong things. You know what else he wasn't focused on is how old he was. You know, it's very easy for him to go, I'm 61 years old. I, I, I can't win this race, you know, etc. But he didn't focus on his age. You know, we struggle sometimes in the church with people that focus on their age. We sometimes in our congregation will have an event like this. And maybe the older folks, I'm thrilled to see the older folks that are here and participating and being a part of this meeting and that kind of thing. 
And I know some people can't. They're working jobs during the day. And we recognize all those things. My point, though, is I'm glad that, that, you know, it would have been very easy for Eddie Bigler to stay home this morning and go, that's for the young people. You know, I don't have to be there. That's for the young people. And I want to tell you, sometimes we get focused on the I can't or I don't or I shouldn't or whatever. And the reality is, it's a help to have the older folks. It's an example to have the older folks. The older folks can engage and be a part, etc. You're not too old to be a part. We've got some folks that go to church with us. They might be 80, 90 years old, but they're sitting in a pew. They're participating. They want to be there. They're encouraging the others that are there. They may not be able to do every activity that the younger folks do, but they're present. They're accounted for. They, they're encouraging their actions, their words, their mentality says, I'm here, I'm a part of the group, etc. And I appreciate that. I really do appreciate that. Uh, Cliff wasn't worried about how old he was to run the race. You know what he was focused on? The race. You know, he wasn't focused on how everybody else ran the race. Everybody else is in Nike gear. Everybody else is wearing running clothes. Everybody else sleeps for seven hours and runs for 17. You know, Cliff wasn't worried about that. You know what Cliff was worried about? The race. He ran the race. That's what he was focused on. You know, it said in this story that Cliff wasn't worried about the prize. At the very end, he won the race, and there was the equivalent of 10,000 U.S. dollars, the equivalent of 10,000 U.S. dollars as a prize, and they said he was shocked. He didn't run the race expecting a $10,000 prize at the end, and they say the story is that he took that prize and distributed it among the other runners of the race and gave it away. You know what he ran the race for? The joy of the race. He loved the race. And I kind of compare that to the stage of life Lisa and I are at. I'll tell you, we, every stage of our life, and there's different stages you go through. Our kids were little bitty girls at one point in time. We loved them, and we had a great time and loved challenging their intellect and, and letting them grow and learn and all that. And then they turn into teenagers, and it's fun when they're teenagers, and they're learning about life, and they're seeing how life is working, and you're tra- challenging their intellect and helping to develop their spiritual thoughts, that kind of thing. It's a lot of fun. Our girls got older and they got college age. And boy, our house was active and we had kids coming in and other kids and friends. And Lisa didn't know who to cook for for supper because any given night there was 13 people around the table or whatever. You just didn't know. It was a lot of activity. And then one day, boom, it's over. All the girls are gone. Lisa and I are sitting at the dinner table looking at each other. You know, it's a different phase of life than what it was before. But I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. We love every one of those phases. They're different, but we love them. We're, we're, we're loving the phase we're at now. I told you the other night, the dogs died. The kids are out of the house. It's Ty Lisa time. I fell in love with Lisa long before the kids came along. Now I get Lisa back. So I'm enjoying the phase of life that we're at. And we'll go through some other phases too when we're probably going to be old people and we're going to be sitting in a rocking chair and the great-grandkids are going to come by once a year and visit us, you know, and that kind of thing because they'll love us. But we're going to enjoy those phases. We'll have our aches and pains, but we're going to enjoy those phases. You know what a lot of people can't do, though, is they can't enjoy life. They struggle day-to-day with enjoying what life has to offer for them. Every day is painful and a struggle and difficult and hard. Have you ever noticed sometimes young people are always looking forward to getting to the next age? 
Uh, one of my funny stories to me is Jennifer, uh, my niece, years ago. To, Jennifer is now 30-something years old. But at the time, Leland went with me on a meeting, and Leland was helping me on singing instruction or something. We were in Plainview, Texas. Jennifer was 13 years old. I remember it for this reason. We went to Plainview, and there were 400 members at Plainview, and all of them were asking Jennifer. She stood about yay tall, and she was like, you know, 50 pounds. And she said, I am 13, almost 14. I'm 13, almost 14. 400 times that week, they go, how old are you? I'm 13, almost 14. She just couldn't wait to be 14 years old. You know, kids have a tendency to, when they're 14, how old do they want to be? 16. Why do you want to be 16? Get a driver's license. And when you're 16, how old do you want to be? 18. You get a driver's license. No, you don't. That's not till 21. Why do you want to turn 18? You're an adult, right? You get to vote. When you're 18, how old do you want to be? 21, right? And it, when you're 21, how old do you want to be? <laughs> Just like to stay there forever. But, you know, we're always wanting to get to that next stage of life. When we're single, we want to get married. When we get married, we want to have kids. When we have kids, we want to get rid of the kids. And then, you know, and I'm joking. My point is we're always trying to wish life away. You know what we need to do? Enjoy the race. You know, wake up in the morning and enjoy it. God's giving you breath and life. Wake up in the morning and enjoy it. When I was 14 years old, I had a disease called Guillain-Barre syndrome. And I was in a wheelchair for about six months and couldn't walk. I lost the use of my legs and I lost partial use of my arms. And I've sat in a wheelchair and I remember taking a football and kind of trying to throw it to the person across, you know, sitting across from me or whatever. I remember um, my dad picking me up and taking me to the bathroom and taking me to bathe me and that kind of stuff because I couldn't do anything myself. I t lost total ability. I mean, I just couldn't move. I couldn't do anything about it. I got over it, obviously. Uh, the end of the story was a good part. It, it, you, I was able to get healed from, from that challenge. And I remember it was a big day, a big day at our house when I could sit on the chair and I could get up from the chair without help. It was a huge day. I remember that day very well. Do you think I wake up in the morning blessed? I guarantee you there's not a day I roll out of bed that I don't think about. God has blessed me. I can walk. I can get up by myself. Nobody's bathing me. Those kind of things. And I'm not knocking. There are some people that have to be in those situations. And they may have to look at other things in life to see blessing. But I'm telling you, I see blessing every day just being able to breathe and, and get up and walk and get out of bed. That kind of thing. God has blessed us. It starts right here, doesn't it? You can either labor through life and wish life away and hope life will be just keep moving and pass so I can get out of this misery. Or you can enjoy the days you have and enjoy what God has blessed you with. I tell you, you can be focused on the prize. In the Christian walk, isn't there a great prize? A great prize is the crown of life, heaven. Yeah, that's a fantastic prize. If you need a prize, some people need motivation for a prize. But what I'd like to encourage you to do is don't trudge it. You know, we sing these songs, no offense to anybody in the crowd that loves these songs. Not trying to ruin the songs for you, I promise you. Living below in this old sinful world, hardly a comfort can afford.
as we drove to the church in a Cadillac with air conditioning, striving alone to face temptation sore. Oh, where could I go but to the Lord? Life is awful. If only we could get to heaven someday. Heaven will surely be worth it all, right? If we could just get through this awful living that we live in every day, heaven at least would be worth it all. If you need a prize to make it through this awful life, I hope you enjoy the prize at the end. But what I want to encourage you to do is enjoy the walk. Enjoy the Christian walk. Enjoy the race. We're in a race, guys. Let me tell you some things Cliff did think about when he entered the race. He believed it could be done. Okay? Cliff, at 61 years old, signed up in rubber boots and and overalls and said, I think I can win this race. I think I can do that. You know, another thing Cliff thought about is slow and steady wins a race. It's kind of like the story of the, the tortoise and the hare. You know, slow and steady wins a race. You know what folks struggle with a lot of times? They want life to constantly be exciting. They're looking for the next thrill. If we can just get to that next high, and that's the way they live life. They're trying to capture everything life's got to do. You know what success in life is? I'm telling you, folks, it'll change your world if you'll look at life a little different. You know what life is, really, success in life? Is doing the mundane things over long periods of time consistently and enjoying the mundane things of life. People get very... There are people that cannot sit privately and enjoy themselves alone it's there because they're looking for the next you've got to be on a roller coaster you've got to be getting the next thrill you've got to be getting the next high and sometimes young people are very challenged with that because their hormones are just bouncing out of their bodies and they're looking for that next i got to get a video game i got to get a let me tell you honestly you got to be careful with that kind of stuff you got to learn how to kind of keep yourself in check and you got to enjoy the mundane things of life. Sometimes those are the true pleasures of life along the way. And slow and steady wins a race. You, you try to get out there and get all the thrills, you'll end up burning out. We have folks sometimes come into church and they're looking for the next new experience at church. They're like Acts 17. What's the next new thing? What's the next high we can get? And what happens is they'll burn out spiritually and they'll, they'll end up somewhere else totally because they keep looking for the new high. You know what we need? We need church members who can do the mundane day in and day out and enjoy it and love it and love the race. Enjoy it. Slow and steady wins the race. You don't burn out on, on the other end as well. Recognize it's one sheep at a time. That's what Cliff was concerned about. He had 2,000 sheep. Storms are rolling in. You go get another sheep. You heard... Herd them in one sheep at a time. Take it slow and steady. Take care of business every day. Do what it is that needs to be done. We need to recognize that in life. Take the things, take the responsibilities and do them day in and day out. Build on principles. Learn one new thing. I tease people all the time. Learn one new, that my philosophy in life is learn one new thing every day. And I tease folks sometimes and I go, I learn one new thing every day and it's like 10 o'clock in the morning and I go and I just learned that so I'm through for today. I don't have to learn anything else today because I've, I've learned my one new thing. Well, the reality is we shouldn't shut our minds off at 10 o'clock in the morning. Learn anything you can learn. And I promise you, if anybody will show you anything and teach you how to do it, learn it. I'm telling you it'll bless you in life. 
If you've got somebody to sit down and teach you how to crochet or teach you how to cook or teach you how to work on a car or teach you how to change a flat or teach you how to weld or teach you learn anything, anybody will teach you. Anything, anybody will teach you anytime. If somebody will share with you music, learn everything you can learn from them. You're, you're picking their brains. You're, you're, you're getting knowledge. If somebody will teach you the Bible, learn everything they can teach you. And you're going to have a lot of teachers in life. You'll have a lot of experiences to draw from. One sheep at a time. One principle at a time. Learn one thing at a time. And, and build on those principles in life. Y'all know we're in a race. Hebrews 12, verse number 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which has so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You notice the patience part, slow and steady wins a race. But we're in a race. We're in a spiritual race. Do you know that it starts this race that we're looking to run? We could go, I can't be done. And there are some people that are overcome with sin. They struggle, struggle, struggle with sin. And now all of us struggle to some degree with sin. But I mean, they're, they've got addictions. Maybe it's drug addictions, alcohol addictions, other things. They really, they've got some struggles. And maybe they're saying, it can't be done. I don't believe it can be done. I, I, can't, I cannot get over this. I can't stop what it is that I'm doing. It starts right here. If you don't believe you can, you won't. Romans 8, verse number 13 says, For if you live after the flesh, you'll die. If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the, deeds of the body, ye shall live. And I tell you, you can put, the word mortify there means to put to death. You can put to death the deeds of the body. You do not have to. You as young people can control what you do with your bodies. You can control what you're, what you're thinking about. You have the ability to control those things. And... You have the ability to put to death the deeds of the body that are inappropriate or whatever. You can be. We talk a lot of times about disciplining kids, and I think we lose the concept of disciplining kids. We talk about discipline like Lisa and I raised our daughters to discipline them. We think immediately, when I say discipline, what are you thinking? You're thinking, oh, paddle them or spank them or put them in time out or something. I'm telling you, we've got, a, we've got a wrong concept of discipline. You know what discipline is? Discipline is teaching a child to discipline themselves. To put their body in subjection. To control themselves. You've got to teach a child to control themselves. They can. They can do that. And they have to learn to do that. It will help them in life. Lisa's grandfather had, a, had an old uh, phrase that said, Bend the sapling while it's young. Because at some point in time it becomes a big mighty oak tree and it's hard to move. It's hard to bend. And I'll tell you a little secret to child rearing. You guys need to listen to this because it's a secret to child rearing. Most of child rearing is done before they're two years old. If you don't have a child by the time they're two years old and four years old, etc., where they can control themselves and they know what's right and wrong and no and yes and those kind of things, they can control what they do with their body, you'll solve a lot of problems when they're 15. But if you can't do that, if you if a child's wild when they're little bitty and they can't control themselves... At 15 years old, it's tough sledding for mom and dad trying to get it in control. A ton of child rearing is done very, very early. You can mortify the deeds of the flesh. You can control. Do you believe other people will obey the gospel or are interested in the gospel? You know, as churches sometimes go, nobody's interested in the gospel anymore. Nobody wants to listen. You know, if that's our mindset, guess what? We'll never go preach the gospel to anybody. 
I don't believe that no one will obey the gospel. You're here today. You're, you care about the gospel. And there are others that care about the gospel as well. Do you believe your congregation can grow? And I'm not just talking about Denton here, but the congregation you attend, go to or whatever, do you go, well, I just don't believe that. Well, if you believe it can't be done, it won't be done. If you believe it can be, it starts with what's between your ears. Do you believe you can forgive? You know, this stuff is hard sometimes. Somebody's hurt you. Somebody has really hurt you. They've hurt you deep to your core. Maybe it was a mom or a dad or a relationship or a boyfriend or girlfriend or a wife or a husband or whatever. Do you believe you can forgive? Because if you don't believe you can, you won't. But if you believe you can, it starts with your thinking. You'd be amazed at what you can do. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 7. So, so that contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest that perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. The context of this is a guy in the first... First Corinthians, that was doing things he shouldn't have done. And Paul was chiding the church for not correcting that. And then he comes back in the second letter, Second Corinthians, and he says, Forgive him. Forgive him. Don't, don't, don't press him down where he's overcome with too much sorrow in the process. You know, do you believe you can complete the race? you believe you can do this over the long haul? This is an ultra marathon we're running. It's not just a short sprint. We're not just here for a short amount of time. This We're running a long way. we got a lot of life to live. Lisa and I, I'll be honest with you, uh, it doesn't seem like life has gone by that quick. I'm 53 years old, and I'll promise you it seems like that quick. It seems like just yesterday our girls were little girls, and they're out on their own and married, and they're having kids. And I'm telling you, it feels like that quick. Life is going to rush by. But you know, we still have a lot of life to live. Lisa and I have a lot of life to live. And we've got years ahead of us, etc. We need to enjoy those days. We need to enjoy that phase, etc. But we're running this thing to finish it. It's an ultra marathon. It's not, we don't go, well, our kids are raised. We're through. Or whatever. We're running a race for the long haul. Okay? Paul told Timothy, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. And do you know the prize that Paul talked about that as well? Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also which love his appearing. Now, I want to finish with this. Would you go back to the phrase, Cliff Young shows up, he's going to run a race in rubber boots and overalls, and they said, you're crazy. There's no way you can win this race. And I'll tell you honestly, there's going to be some people in your life that are going to say, you're nuts for being a Christian. You're crazy for being a Christian. Can't believe you're... There's no way you can do this. There's no way you can... I know who you really are anyway. I know... And do you know, First Peter chapter 4 says, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of right, speaking evil of you. Do you realize there are going to be some friends that are going to say, oh, they're... I can't believe those people over there, you know. They think they're better than everybody. They're goody two-shoes. They're whatever. And they're going to speak evil of you because you won't run to the same excess of riot. You won't go do the evil stuff they're doing. But I'm telling you, you can run the Christian race. They were telling uh, Cliff Young, there's no way you can win this race. That's what the people around him said. But what did he say? Yes, I can. 
Yes, I can. And notice the last phrase. I believe I can run this race. And he ran it. And he did it in five days. And he did it and beat the best time by ten hours. And he did it at 61 years old wearing overalls and rubber boots because he believed he could. He didn't listen to all the other voices that were saying that they couldn't do it. I want to tell you guys in life, you can listen to all the voices that say you can't or you can... Between your ears, believe with God's help, we can do anything we put our mind to. And it starts right there. If we start getting into stinking thinking and negative stuff, it's going to limit us in life and limit our opportunities and limit our potential in life. God bless you. May God's countenance shine down upon every one of you in the room today. God bless you.